Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. I just want to welcome everyone who is online. It's great to have you with us today and make yourself known. Chat with our hosts. Uh, we have chat hosts out there. We'd love to interact and get to know you. Um, so last week I was not preaching. And so staff always hates when I don't preach because that means I'm walking around and seeing everything and making note of things and that kind of stuff. So you're like, you need to preach every week, like seriously. Uh, but it was cool last week, both services, I went back into the kids area and just you know, thanked all the volunteers and just kind of see what's going on back there. And I was, I was surprised because I know there's incredible things happening, but I was once again amazed specifically in our elementary of how many elementary students we have. Both services, it was packed. Uh, and as a dad of a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, I hear the stories every week of what they're learning in there and the Bible verses they're studying and how their leaders are on the floor with them and processing things with them. And, and they don't use that word processing, but, but uh, talking through uh, just what they discovered and, and what, what they learned. And, and Emily, Emily um, Harbor, who is our elementary director under uh, Jess, Jessica's leadership as our family pastor, Emily's doing an amazing job. I mean, it's absolutely amazing what's happening. Some of you serve in there and you know, but a lot of us uh, don't get to see that. And it also reminded me when I was back there last week, wow, we could definitely use some more volunteers. Um, there are, uh, I'm guessing probably between the two services, 60 just elementary students at least. Um, and there are amazing volunteers, and I can look out here right now and see some of you, and thank you, who are impacting my children, but impacting so many children out here. But I just wanted, to, when I saw that, I was like, wow, I need to say about this <laughs> next week. If there's anyone here who you're looking for a place to serve, or you've been thinking about maybe elementary, it's needed, and you're going to make an impact. And in fact, if you are thinking about that, if you're online even, and you live locally, and you're thinking about coming on site, mark the back of that connection card they were talking about. Just put elementary on the back, or talk to me, or talk to someone out in the atrium, or shoot me an e- talk to one of the staff, or talk- shoot me an email. Um, I'm serious when I say that we exist for all people, but you're only one generation away from being a non-Christian nation. And, and I'm not just making that up. Go to Western Europe, and frankly, it's happening here, so we don't have to go across the pond. Uh, and I'm unashamed to say we're going to pour everything we can into the next generation. And it's exciting to me that every Sunday, one-third of our church here is 18 and under. How cool is that? And that whether you're 18 plus maybe 60 or, or so, on top of that, we have a culture here of wanting, exciting. You want to see a lot of youth running through. Uh, You want to see um, and and serving in that area. So again, if that's something that you're thinking about or have been thinking about, there's a a serious need. I only do that a couple of times a year, be like blunt, like, yeah, we we could use um, a lot more volunteers in that elementary space. Today's a standalone sermon, which means we usually preach in series because it's easier to invite in series and it's easy to build momentum in series. But today is a standalone. Of course, next week is football Sunday. And so we're excited about that. And today we're going to be talking about invitation and what does that look like. How do you know a pastor's having a bad day? What are some ways that you can know a pastor's having a bad day? Well, um, one way is if he or she leaves their wireless microphone on when they're in the bathroom. <laughs> Been there actually before. That's, that's a sign. It's not a bad day. If the church is considering sending you on a mission trip to North Korea, that's a sign that you might be having a bad day. 
when the church is deciding to vote that your day off should be Sunday. That is a sign that it might be a bad day for you. If they decide that the band's going to start playing during the service, but specifically during your sermon, that's a sign that you might be having a bad day. How many of you have ever had a bad day? Raise your hand, okay? The rest of you are in denial, okay? Right? We've all had bad days, and typically when we have a bad day, we don't verbalize that to everyone. Now, I know in social media, I think we do a lot of TMI out there, but like typically when, when we have a really bad day or maybe when we make a bad decision, we don't like others to know, right? We'd rather keep that in. But it's the opposite when there's good news, isn't it? When there's good news, we want to do what? We want to tell other people. We put it on Facebook. We, we share it with other. We put it on Instagram. We tell as many people as we can. I remember when Jess and I got engaged. When we got engaged, as soon as we could, what do you do? You got to go Facebook official, right? You know, so you know, move from dating to engage. You start texting all your friends, hey, you know. And for me, I was 34 and kind of a lone ranger, and, and most people didn't even believe. Like, I was just doing it to prove. I had a 10 pictures of her that she actually existed, you know. But that's what we do, right? We share the good news. We want others to know our exciting things that are happening. Here at the Valley Church, our vision is multiple expressions of the Valley Church wherever God would lead us. We believe that God's ascending God, and because God's ascending God, He calls His people to go to reach other people who don't know Him. We believe that the church was designed to reach lost people and to disciple those who are here. That's what we believe. So our mission, actually, our mission is change lives that are changing lives. But I teach people all the time, especially church planters, that, you know, the reality is the church doesn't need a mission. The mission needs a church. Think about that. The church really doesn't need a mission. The mission is crystal clear in Scripture. Take Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father. Here we see in the, even in Genesis, I've talked about that before. God calls this guy Abraham. He says, I want you to leave where you are. I want you to go to this place you've never been before. And I'm going to do this because I want to reveal myself to you. And then you're going to reveal myself to this group of people called Israel because you've got to start with someone to reveal yourself. There wasn't anything special about them. He chose them to reveal himself. God always is doing that. See, the church doesn't need a mission. The mission, what? Needs a church. And we want to be that church, a church that, you know, where we just get excited about what God's doing in our life. We can't help ourselves, but share that with other people, that we look at the brokenness in this world and we don't just look at someone else down the road to do it. We don't look at some other church to do it, but we see this brokenness in the world and we decide we're going to do something about that. Why? Because the church doesn't need a mission. The mission needs a church. The apostle Paul had this moment, well, actually, I like calling him, he's a mission, he's a church planter. The church planter, Paul, okay, was rebelling against God. He, God, he believed in the, Jew, in the Jewish God, and Jesus really messed with the system and everything he was expecting, who the, they thought the Messiah was going to be. And so Paul was against God. He was against Jesus, and he was actually, he wasn't maybe throwing the stones at him, but he was signing the death warrant. And he was going to go continue this mission that his, was his mission of trying to destroy this new movement, what they're calling the way uh, that Jesus had ushered in his new kingdom. And then he has this encounter. Some of us know this on that we call it the Damascus Road where he met Jesus and Jesus changed his life. And what happens when Jesus changes your life or what should happen when Jesus changes their life is that we can't stop telling people about it. And that's what was happening to Paul. 
And we pick up in 2 Corinthians where we're going to be today that Paul is sharing his faith and Paul is trying to win as many people to Jesus as possible. And the people are starting to question his motives. They think, oh, he's just trying to get more, you know, positive marks here. He's just, these are just tallies for him. Or maybe he's just crazy or maybe he's just annoying or maybe he's just loony. And they're, and they're questioning his, his, his heart and his motivation for telling people about what Jesus did in his life and what they could do, what he could do in theirs. And so that's the context that we see when we enter into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it's going to be on the screen here. We're going to to be in verse 14. If you want to read, uh, use the Bibles in your rows, it's on page 937, 937. This is a shorter passage today, so I put it up, I'm going to put it up on the screen. If you know me at all, I like people to get their Bibles out or get their Bible app on their phone. I just think it creates good habit because then they're like, hey, maybe I could do this Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. It'd be a good thing. And here's Paul's answer to this question. Why? are you sharing your faith? Why do you talk about Jesus all the time? Why do you tell everyone your story of how your life was transformed? And Paul says this. He says, for the love of Christ does what? Now you can, I want you to say this out loud and loudly. If you're sitting in your living room, yell. If we hear you, we'll get concerned. Okay. So you're good. For the love of Christ does what? Compels us. For the love of Christ compels. The word compel literally means to grip or to grip hold of. And what Paul is saying here is, he goes, do you want to know why I can't keep my mouth shut about what Jesus has done to me? He said, because I remember I've experienced his love. I've experienced this love from Jesus. And because I've experienced this, and because I came to the realization, I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. But because he's so good and because he's so loving and he's so passionate to be in a relationship with me, this love that I have experienced from Jesus, it has gripped my heart. It has consumed me. You see, when we talk about sharing our faith and if we we don't talk about the underlying motivation for doing it, I could talk a lot about that today, but you might feel guilted into doing it. Or you might feel that if you're a follower of Christ here with us today, that it's your duty to do it. How long does guilt and duty really last? I don't know. As a dad, I've tried it with my kids, trying to guilt them and, and then dutifully doing something. I haven't even got it to work. Maybe some of you better than that. I mean, if it does work, right, it lasts for like one time. So what's the deeper motivation? The deep motivation is love. Let me put it this way. Let's say your house was on fire, and and if you have kids or grandkids, or if you don't have kids and grandkids, it's a a mom, it's a dad, it's a brother or sister, it's it's someone you love. Your house is on fire, and they're inside. What are you going to do? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going in. Right? I'm going in. If my two, my nine and six-year-old are in that house and the house is on fire, there's no one stopping me from going in. I'm going in. And I don't care if I get singed. I don't care if I get burned. I don't care if I die, as long as I get them out. And you might say, well, Mark, you're a hero. Mark, you're so courageous. Or they would say the same to you. And what would your response be? No, I'm not courageous. I love them. I was compelled 
There's nothing on heaven. There's nothing on earth. There's no one holding me back. The reason you went in there is not because you're superhuman or because you're courageous, or because you're fearless. The reason you went in there after your children, or your grandchildren, or your friend, or your parent, or whoever is in there is because you love them and that love compels, it grips you, right? There's nothing stopping you. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I remember what my life was like before. I experienced forgiveness. I experienced grace. I experienced wholeness. And while it's not great to just reflect or, or stay stuck in your past if you experienced all those things, I think it's healthy not to forget that. And Paul, in fact, Paul said this later on in the New Testament. He said, I am the chief of sinners. I am the chief because he remembered what he did. I mean, he was an accessory to murder many times over. And while he knew he was forgiven, he never forgot his past. He never forgot who brought him out of that shame. He never forgot who brought him out of that guilt. He never forgot who brought him out of that brokenness. And it was his love. It was Jesus's love. And it compelled him. Dr. Carl Barth, uh, Dr. Barth uh, is one of the greatest theologians ever in history. And the story is shared that one day he's in, this, he's in this graduate class with a bunch of PhD students, and he's in there as a guest lecturer. I mean, imagine you got the, one of the greatest theologians ever, and I get a chance to ask him questions. I get a chance to learn. And one student asked the following question. He said, Dr. Barth, of all the theological insights you've ever had, which one do you consider the greatest? Of all the theological insights you've ever had, the guy's brilliant theological mind, what's the greatest you ever had? And Dr. Barth closed his eyes and he put his chin on his hand and opened his eyes then. And of course, all the students are getting their pens out. They're getting the paper out. They're ready. To write. And he, he opened his eyes and he smiled and he said, you know, it's actually what my mother taught me. She taught me this little thing once ago. It goes like this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. It's so easy to forget that, isn't it? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. I don't know about you, but the longer I've walked with the Lord, it's easier sometimes to just get... It's just forgetfulness, right? You just forget. Or you lose, the, you, you, you lose the awe. And that's one thing I just want us to do today. If you have ever said, if you've ever said yes to Jesus and you know that he's made you right with God, maybe what we just do here, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give a long time, but maybe as I'm talking today, would you just sit in awe of that? When's the last time you just reflected on there's nothing you did to save yourself. You tried all kinds of things. I did anyhow to try to make myself right, to try to take away the guilt or the shame or make myself whole. But they all, maybe some of them worked temporarily, but they all still left me empty. But sit and think, just sit on, sit on it. Be still and know I'm God. Sit on that love. Do you remember it? Do you remember the first time that you knew you were forgiven? See, if you're with us today and you've never experienced that, it's hard for me to really explain it. 
You ever try to explain something and be like, man, you just got to experience it. Like, I, I, you know, you just, and I'm just telling you, if you've never experienced, if you're not sure you've experienced that, you not being mean or anything, but you, you probably haven't. Just be straight up, okay? And then my prayer is today that you would experience that, the love of Christ. And then he goes on and, sa- and Paul says this. He says, why am I compelled? Because we are convinced that the one, that Jesus Christ died for us all. See, that's, where he's, that's why he was compelled. That's why it gripped him so much. That's why he couldn't keep his mouth shut of sharing what God has done in his life and with other people is because he, he came to the conclusion that Jesus died for him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you believe that that's not just some historical event, but it actually happened because of my rebellion and your rebellion? And we see all throughout Scripture that sin always resulted in death of an innocent something, animal, typically, right? And then Jesus came, God sent him, God's ascending God. Jesus, God sent his son, and Jesus lived a blameless and perfect life to serve as that final and once and for all substitute or atonement is the, is the theological term, that substitute for me and for you. And what drove him to the cross? Was it guilt? No. Was it even his destiny? No. What drove Jesus to the cross? And it's one word. It's a recurring word today. It starts with an L, four letters. Go for it. Love. Love. That's what drove him to the cross. His love for you and his love for me. And when that finally sinks in, we all have to have that moment. We can hear it, but when it finally gets from here, the 12, hardest 12 inches in the world, from here into here, when it finally gets into here, it starts to wreck you. You've ever been wrecked? You've ever been wrecked by the love of Jesus? I like using that term being wrecked by his love. It just messes with you. Because you know you didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it, but he's so stinking good. And he's so crazy about you. He's so crazy about you that his love compelled us, compelled him to do that, to be the substitute for you and for me. Paul goes on and says this then. He says, and Christ died for everyone or he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for who? For themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. My words of saying this is Paul said, I'm now under new management. The sign has gone up in the window under new management because I've tried to run my life under my own management. I'll use the phrase, I've tried to be my own general manager, president, and CEO. And every time I try to do that or continue to try to do that, I'm okay usually for a little while, maybe by a little while, a day or two, <laughs> maybe a week if I'm lucky. And then what happens? Boom, right? Face first, head up against the wall, right? Because I'm living on my own power. I'm living on my own strength. I think I am in charge of this universe and I forget who has set me free. I forget whose lordship and leadership that I'm under. And then he wraps it up by this. He says, and so from now on, see, this is what Paul, this journey, again, the question Paul was asked is, why do you share your faith? Why can't you keep your mouth shut about what Jesus has done? Remember, that's the context. That's the question. He then started it by saying, I'm compelled. 
I can't help. I'm, I'm gripped. And what am I gripped by? I'm gripped by his love. And the love is manifested, or I understand the love when I understand what Jesus did for me on the cross. Then he shifts gears as he wraps up and says, then here's how I start looking at other people. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, when I start seeing people, I don't see them how they are, what they look like, how messed up they are, whatever. I now see them as though once Christ we regarded this way, but do no so any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, I like imagery. When I read scripture, I try to have imagery. We now put new glasses on when we've experienced the love of Christ. And those new glasses that we put on allow us or give us the chance to start seeing people through lenses of hope. Amen. You see, before, and, and we can all be guilty of this if we don't put these glasses on every day, to be honest. And if we don't stay connected to the source all the time, because we'll start doing it on our strength, or we, for, or we forget where our grace came from and our hope came. When you, you and I start putting glasses of hope on, and we start seeing this person at the supermarket, not through what they look like or not whatever they do, or someone we do know, what if you know them and, and you know the mess in their life and the garbage in their life and the baggage in their life, you no longer look at them through how they are now. You look at them through the lens of Christ of what they could be. Think about that. You now start looking at them through the lens of what they could be, not who they are now. Game changing. Aren't you glad that if you're a follower of Christ in here today, God looked at you and didn't say, oh, that's a lost cause. <laughs> Can't deal with that. Wow, they are really messed up. Finally met my match. No, <laughs> I would have been that guy. He looks at us and says, I see something. If they would just turn over the lordship of their life, if they would just hand over the keys and let me drive the car and jump in the trunk, don't, get this, don't do the passenger seat, you'll grab the wheel, right? That's what he looks and that's what he sees. And so I've been trying to start doing that. And God's really been challenging me to be compelled more by his love. And that when I'm out and about, they start seeing people through the lens of hope. And I start living more courageously. And I start having opportunity, and I start looking at inviting people. And I start looking at investing in people. I was in San Diego a couple of weeks ago for a church planting thing, not a bad place. I sign up for, in the winter, I sign up for anything. And they're like, yeah, we'd like you to come to San Diego. Got a couple in Florida coming up, yep. North Dakota, no, I'm busy, sorry, can't do it. Just got to figure it out on their own. And I don't know about you, but I always tend to hear God really well by the ocean. We need an ocean in Ohio. I would hear God so much better. Who, someone working on that? And so I was, I, I was in a lot of conferences, trainings, meetings, etc. but I, I made sure to, to go and walk the ocean in the morning and at night as much as I could. And I had been working on this sermon and just processing a lot of different things about sharing one's faith. And God really just started nudging me with some stuff. And, and, he started, and, and this verse really just started to grab hold of me. Am I compelled? Am I compelled because of what he's done for me to share with other people? And the answer was sometimes, but not a lot. Just be straight up. 
And I said, God, then I need you to break my heart. I need you to break my heart about lost people. I need you to, I need you to take out this, this spirit of fear and timidity and give me a spirit of power. That's in the Bible. Okay? I, want you to, I want you to come and live in and through me. I, want, I don't want to be weak. About, you've changed my life. How dare I not allow other people to see what could happen in their life? And so God started challenging me. He started, he, he, one thing, he, he said, you're going to invite 20 people to football Sunday. And if necessary, you're going to go door to door and make those invites. And I said, God, I'm, no, I'm not doing that, right? And he, said, and he doesn't speak audibly. It's just nudge. I don't, here's one way I know it's God and not me. If it's something that makes me really uncomfortable and I, want to, and I start arguing with myself, that's usually my indicator that it might be God and not me speaking to myself, okay? And so I said, okay, I'm, I'm, yeah. Because you start, you start, and I did what I challenged you to do. I started just sitting on it. I started sitting on his love. I started sitting on what he did in my life. It starts to mess with you in a good way. But I think a lot of times we then have the same fears I do when it comes to sharing our faith if we're a follower of Christ. What, what if I don't know the answer to their questions? What if it's weird? Uh, I think the, the greatest one is what if they reject me, right? What, I, what if it messes our relationship up? What if it gets weird? What if people think I'm weird? Well, you might be already, but no, just kidding. Just... And so the other day I was at Walmart and I, I keep, I had all these cards. I, I had invited a bunch already. I still, uh, still, and I, so I was just, uh, I was in line checking out and there was this guy right across from me at the other scan thing or checkout thing. And, and he, um, I just got that nudge, invite him. <laughs> and I was like, no, <laughs> you ever tell God, no, it's not the best decision. But I, I was like, uh, no, like he's got his personal space right now. And I got mine. I and so uh, I didn't. And so I'm walking out, I did not. And so I'm walking out, he's walking near me. And of course, the whole time you feel, you just know, right? You ever have that time when you know, like you're supposed to do something and you're just rebelling. And so then I did what, don't, don't judge me because I think some of you have done this before. I said, okay, God, if the guy parked near me, <laughs> if he parked near me, then I will because, you know, don't you hate it? Where do you think the guy parked? Right across, like right in front of me. So, yeah, eventually, you know you're in disobedience and then you, 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 when you, you hit a second level of disobedience. There's no such thing. You know what I mean? Like this is like ultra disobedience at this point. And so I'm like, okay, so I go and I'm, I have my card and he, I smile at him like some creep, you know, and I'm like, he, he's in his car and I'm like, hey, and I, you know, and again, it's doing this right. But I, and I was like, hey, and he opened his door. I said, hey, I go to this church. I never tell him I'm a pastor because people always freak out when you do that, okay, or they think they just cussed and apologize for whatever. I was like, I don't care. But um, anyhow, so I was like, hey, I go to this church and we're having this football Sunday thing, got Master Teague, you know, played running, running back for him and just love for you to come, you know, and he just looks, he was nice, but he goes, no thanks. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, God. Like I go back to my, uh, I tuck my tail, but I'm like walking back to my car just thinking, are you kidding me? Like I, like obeyed, like this was a tug of war he and God and I were having, and then the guy shoots me down. And I got thinking, well, there's a good sermon illustration for rejection, right? I mean, here's the deal. I, you can't control how people are going to react. And I think it's normal and natural to be concerned about being rejected or about having anything get affected in your relationship with them. 
And I don't have a perfect answer to this other than if God asks you to do it, and he's already kind of asked us to do it, to be honest, but sometimes he really asks us to do it, like for a crystal clear, like that guy. And I'm praying for that guy. I, I, don't, I, I have a deep, I, I just tell. You get, I, there's something, there was something, in, something he was battling. I just, I just knew. That's why God was so good of putting him right across from me. I, I don't, I'm still praying he comes or some, God does something in his, in his life or brings someone else across his path. But the only answer I can give to that question, because I, I think it is the most worrisome question we have, even over fear or they'll ask me something I don't know, is it's rejection. Just trust God. Just, just, I mean, be smart. Don't be an idiot about how you make the invitation or be in their face or whatever, but just trust. Because I've learned this. God's always working in people's lives. It's called pervenient grace. I believe that God is working in everyone's life, even if they don't want anything to do with him, even if they're running the other direction, even if they don't know. And you can think back to your own life. You look back now and you're like, he was definitely at work. <laughs> I, was, I was doing my own thing, you know, but he was definitely at work. I truly believe, I have that confidence that when I go make an invitation, that even if they say no, that God has still been working in their life. And the other thing is this. I just trust that the Holy Spirit is really good at what he does. See, I'm not going to change anyone's life. I'm not going to change anyone's heart. I didn't even change my own heart. The Spirit had to do that within me. So I entrust that the Spirit's going to do the heavy lifting, the heavy lifting of changing hearts, the heavy lifting of speaking into them. My job, because I now feel compelled because of his love, is to invest and invite. Invest and invite. This thought came to me recently. You know, every day there's newspapers that go out in every town, in every city, in every state, in every providence, in every country, right? Every day there's newspaper online or dropped off. And in every newspaper, you can do this. I did a little bit of a sample and I proved right. Every newspaper, every day has an obituary column. Think about that. Not every day is there a headline news in Troy or even every, I don't think every day there's even someone arrested in Troy or definitely in certain communities. But every single day, someone dies in every single town, every single village, every single city, every single state, every single province. Think about it, right? You can do your own experiment. I did a little sample size and every day I found an obituary. Let that wreck you a little bit. Every day, that means that there's potential for people going to hell. Every single day. I believe that hell's a real place and real people go there. I know it's not always popular to talk about. It's definitely not comfortable to talk about. But I believe that we can choose Jesus. God doesn't send us there. We choose to go there. He honors that choice. And that's eternity. Our minds can't fathom eternity, but that's a long time. We see in Scripture a guy... Lazarus was his name, who's in hell, and it proves that it exists, by the way, and he's speaking to, uh, on earth, and he's saying, hey, I got five brothers, I'm paraphrasing, but I got five brothers, and this is real, and would someone go tell them that this exists, because I don't want them to be where I am. And here's the fascinating thing when it comes to what I like to phrase as trying to depopulate hell. I want to depopulate hell. I want those, I can't do anything about the numbers currently there, but I can do something about making those numbers bigger. 
that when it comes down to sharing our faith and, 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 and telling people about Jesus, that God has a plan A and he didn't come up with a plan B. There is no plan B. His plan A to reach this world is me and it's you. Think about it. He can work in all kinds, I'm not saying he can't work in all kinds of ways. He can work in incredible kinds of ways. But I'm saying relationship, invitation, sharing your faith, compelled, it's plan A is you and me. It's a crazy plan. It's a risky plan. What if we choose not to do it? I've chosen not to. It's scary, right? And there is no plan B. And so what are you and I going to do about this? You see, next week, I think we have an incredible opportunity. Incredible, easy, low-hanging fruit opportunity to make invitations. That's why we do these, by the way. We don't do them to just do them. I'm convinced that doing this is one of the ways to get a man to come to church to be just straight up with you, right? Master Teague's coming. I'm, ex- I'm pumped about having him because the last two speakers, I was really pumped because, you know, we had Bobby Carpenter and, and uh, Craig Krenzel. Well, they're my age. I watched them playing, like, you know, and I've learned now as I get older, if I'm too excited about it, it probably means like I've aged out a little bit, right? He's to- Master Teague's 23 years old and he's the real deal. So we're going to have a lot of fun here. We're going to have I don't know what all they have planned, but we're going to have food and all kinds of fun stuff. But I, I've read up on Master Teague, and, and he and I are going to do a Q&A up here. He's the real deal when it comes to faith in Jesus. And so when you invite people here next week, you can say, hey, just come sit with me. And if come sit with me doesn't work, say, come eat with me, because we're going to have nachos, we're going to have hot dogs, we're going to have chili. Everyone should eat chili at 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> I think I read it in the Bible somewhere. It's very good. But I know if people invite me and there's food, that's usually a way to get me there. Come eat with me. Come eat with me. And yes, we're going to talk football and his upbringing and his time at Ohio State. And he's been, he's got a couple, had a couple of times he was on the practice squad with the Steelers and he's trying to make his NFL dream. We'll talk about all that stuff and some fun behind the scenes stuff. But then we're going to get into how Jesus has impacted his life. And it's a really awesome testimony. And those are people you invite. And by the way, we're going to have a student section in here and not for those who think you're students, okay? For actually middle school and high school students. Parents of teenagers, teenagers in this space, if you're, if you're in this space, invite your friends at school. I gave my, four, my two kids four invites. They're like, I was talking about the uh, invites and all that kind of stuff with them. And they're like, we want to invite because kids are so good at that, right? They're not weak like me. And so... They got four invites, and in one day, they invited eight people, both their teachers and then three of their friends at school, and they want more cards. See, this isn't about football Sunday, church. This is about eternity. This is about heaven and hell stuff. And they're going to get an opportunity next week to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to, I'm kind of running the show with this. I'm going to give them an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Who do you know who doesn't know Jesus? I read something recently, it was a Pew Research study. They interviewed people who said that they didn't have a relationship with God. In fact, they said they were unchurched. They, they didn't have a church home, they didn't have faith. And they asked them, they said, if someone invited you to church, would you accept that invitation? And the study came back and there was a lot of people surveyed in the study that 35% of people who don't have a relationship with Jesus said, I would accept an invitation if someone invited me, 35%. Now we read that and we're like, that's low. That's depressing. Well, I, I used to teach physics, so I'm, I'm decent at math. And so I did, some, I did some math for us. You ready for this math? 
There's roughly 400 of us here. I'm not including, I don't think your babies are going to make invites. I'm not putting that on them. Let's say there's 400 of us here on a Sunday. That's pretty conservative. That includes teenagers, elementary kids. What if each of us invited five people? All right, 400 times five, 2,000. So then I typed it into my phone calculator, like all of you do too. 2,000 times 0.35 equals 700. All, what if each of us looked and said, you know, there's five people who don't know the Lord and I have an opportunity because I'm compelled by the love of Jesus to make an invitation. Out of five, three, and then one half of a person will come. But if all of us make five, just five, I mean, how bad, how serious are we are about depopulating? How, how serious are we about seeing people experience forgiveness and wholeness and healing and redemption and restoration? I mean, let's just get straight up to how Do we care or not? Do I care or not? That's why we have to let the Spirit wreck us. We have to remember, it's by grace I've been saved, not by works. I can't do any boasting. It's because he's so good. And the last thing I would want is someone not to experience that. Who do you know? Who do you know? I want to close with this. I was reading something. I read a lot, as you can tell. Uh, I was reading this article the other day, and it, it talked about this church that was closing, closing its doors. And they were having a celebration of life service for this church. I was like, this is so weird. Like we have celebration of life when someone dies, right? You know, we moved away from funeral more to say celebration of life. Why would you celebrate a church closing? So it caught my interest. So I kept reading the article. They chose to have a celebration of life for this church closing its doors because they wanted to invite all the people who had been impacted by Jesus through this church because out of this church, 13 new churches had been started. Daughter churches, grand, I get goosebumps every time, <laughs> and granddaughter churches and great-granddaughter churches. Every church has a lifespan. Every human has a lifespan, right? Every church does. Every church started in the Bible doesn't exist anymore. Every church Paul planted doesn't exist. But if you reproduce, you do. And so they had a celebration of life service, even though their doors were closing because of the thousands and tens of thousands of people who had been impacted through the reproduction of that church. It got me thinking, not about the church, about the church, but it got me thinking on the individual level. Each of us, and I know this is not what we want to hear, but each of us someday is going to have a celebration of life service. George Bernard Shaw said, for every one who is born, one will die. Okay? We will, that's just a statistic, one to one. You won't be there, but, and I won't be there, but the people you impacted will. And what if your celebration of life service, there were dozens and dozens and hundreds after, you know, of generations impacted, if you're fortunate to live that long, and they come there and say, you know, this person invited me. This person, inv he invested in me. This person, I'm so glad, I'm so glad they weren't scared. I'm so glad they were compelled by the love of Christ to share. And because they shared, because they had the courage, my life was changed. And my wife's life was changed. And generation after generation was changed. You and I are God's plan A, and there's no plan B. Who are you going to invite? Who are you going to invest in? 
Don't allow anything to get in that way because you're talking about eternity that matters. We're going to have a time of response today. We're going to receive communion. If you want to receive communion, the stations are here. There's one in the back. Uh, We have candles. Maybe you just want to come up today and you're going to light a candle. That candle represents Bill. That candle represents Susie. That candle represents Candace. That candle represents your kid's teacher. This candle represents your neighbor. And say, I'm going to make an invitation. I'm going to step out of the comfort zone and I'm going to get it in the courageous zone. Maybe you just need to come up and you just need to pray. Maybe you need to kneel at your seat and you just need to pray that you would be gripped and you would be wrecked by the love of Christ. Maybe some of you are here today and you've never experienced that. And today is the day that you need to turn your life over to new leadership. You need to confess your sin. You need to repent. You need to turn away. And you need to invite Christ to come in. We have a cross there. Maybe I just did first service. I just wrote some initials of some people I'm inviting or already invited. And I'm just praying over them. I'm praying over them all week. God, would you just soften their part? God, would you just... Do whatever you do. I don't even know how to pray sometimes with that. God, just do whatever you do. I'm going to just be obedient. And then you do whatever you do. And then we're going to actually close with the song we opened up with today after this time of response. It's a song of celebration. It's a song of remembrance of what Christ has done for us if you've accepted him. And then how he can use your testimony to reach other people. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you. I pray we would never forget what you've done for us if we've accepted Christ. And if we're here today or we're watching online today and we've never said yes to you, that we would realize that our sin has destroyed that relationship and the only way we can be made right with you is through Jesus and through his blood on the cross and his death and then his subsequent resurrection. You tell us that we are dead in our sins, that we are hopeless, that we are lost, And my prayer today is that all of us would make a decision to follow after you. And if we haven't made that decision already, that today we would decide that I'm going to start sharing my faith with other people. I'm going to share my story. You tell us, you tell us to just be, when, when the opportunity arises, that we have a reason for our hope. And the reason for our hope is our story of how we were dead in our sin, but now we're made alive in Christ. And so in these moments, I don't know what each of us needs to do, but you do. And would you just respond however you feel you need to? We just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things The Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend. Because changed lives, changed lives.